Well, good morning once again, Bell Schultz family. My name is Corey Abney and I serve as a lead pastor. And whether you're here with us in the room at the Brandon campus or watching us online, so glad to have you with us today as we celebrate a King and a Savior who is truly worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. And um, I wanna say a special thanks to our choir and orchestra and our band for providing that incredible opportunity of worship today. And um, we appreciate you very much. Uh, we miss having our choir uh, on our stage every week. Um, and so that was an opportunity for us to have them lead us even virtually. And uh, we're gonna package that as a special feature that you'll see on social media this week. And uh, it's just a real joy to celebrate collectively, uh, both in the room and online, um, a God who is worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. And really that's what this current teaching series is all about. Uh, this series is called The Movement, and we've been walking through the establishment of the greatest movement in the history of the world, which is the church. We, we saw that it's a missional movement. It was birthed out of a mandate when, where Jesus said that, that, that he will build his church in such a way that the gates of hell do not prevail against it. Jesus gave us a mission to go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus told us that we will be his witnesses at home, across our surrounding regions, and even around the world. We have a missional Movement, And then last week, we saw that it's a messianic movement. It is a movement that is rooted in the confession that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah and the Savior of the world. It's a movement with an unshakable foundation on this truth that Jesus is the Messiah. He is our only means of salvation. And this movement that is still on the move today and it's changing lives today is one that is rooted deeply in the confession that Jesus is our Messiah. And today, I'd like to ask you to take your copy of God's word and turn with me back to the book of Acts, the ninth chapter. I want us to see that it's a miraculous movement. Today, we're gonna look at the life of a man who was radically changed by the power of this gospel. The word gospel simply means good news. We're gonna see a man whose life was radically changed by this movement, this movement that's rooted in the confession that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, I, I know something about what it means to live a changed life. You see, for many years, I lived like a king. Literally, like a king of ancient times who would gather coins from the floor of his car to make a late night Taco Bell run for something to eat. And I would exchange my coins for a soft Taco Supreme. And I could do that any night I wanted. I had that kind of freedom. I could lay out my clothes on the bed and choose what I would wear the next day. Not because I had a plan, but because all of my clothes ended up wrinkled on the bed. And I would go through the next day and just pick something that looked the least wrinkled. That led to my outstanding laundry system where I would pick up a shirt from the bed or maybe on the floor and throw it in the dryer for 10 minutes and then basically be good to go. I could listen to whatever music I wanted to in my vehicle. I could wear even things that didn't match. I had a kingly diet, and I don't mean to brag here, a diet of ramen noodles and Pepsi. A diet fit for a king. Yes, 
for a while in my life, I lived like a king. And then I got married. (laughs) And it all came crashing to the ground. My glorious way of living. I met a woman who was not walking with the Lord. Evidenced by the fact that she had a system of doing laundry where you wash clothes even prior to being down to your last pair of socks. That seems strange to me. She had a routine of going to the grocery store and actually buying food that you would prepare for yourself that was not microwavable. (laughs) I didn't get to listen to whatever music I wanted to in the car. I married someone who did not have a taste for Journey or Vanilla Ice. Again, not walking with the Lord. Some of you can relate. Do you remember the days before you were married, those of you who are married? Do you remember a little different way of doing things? Do you remember having to make a few adjustments? Well, I I certainly made those adjustments and of course they were for the better. (laughs) You know, in a much more profound sense, especially if you're you're new to our church or new to the church, there's, there's a change that many of us in this room have been through and many of us online have been through where, again, in a much more profound way, our lives have been totally and radically changed. The way we used to live, the way we used to talk, the the way we used to operate, the value system that we embrace, totally different from what our lives look like today. For some of you, maybe you, you lived in complete dysfunction. Maybe you come out of a family that's broken, dysfunctional. Maybe you suffered abuse or neglect. Maybe your testimony is that you were just living for yourself, the American dream, pushing hard after success and trying to find your identity in your success and in the fulfillment of earthly treasures. Maybe your confession, maybe your testimony is that, is that, is that you used to live your life so radically, selfishly that you would uh, abuse people or substances or anything that would give you a high. But, but now that you see, there's so many of us who have the testimony that, that that was us before, but now we are living a better life, a more fulfilling life. There's been a radical change, a profound change. You know, we could refer to some of these changes as BC, uh, before Christ. Anybody have a testimony where you recall what it was like before Christ? You ever think back to what it was like to not have hope, to not have peace, to not have forgiveness, to not have the assurance of eternal everlasting love and acceptance? Can you look back in your life and, and can you recall a time before Jesus? Many of you can. Some of you were blessed to be raised in a Christian home and you had parents or grandparents who introduced you to Jesus at an early age. Your testimony today is that God saved you from what you would have been. He saved you from a BC kind of testimony whereby you had a radical shift or a radical change. But no matter your testimony today, here's the thing. Every single one of us who know and love Jesus have been radically and miraculously saved so that whether at five years old or 50 years old, we all lean into the same miraculous miraculous grace as our eternal hope. All of us do. 
There's a radical change from what we were or what we would have been. And what I want you to contemplate with me this morning is the fact that this movement of which we are a part, yes, it is a missional movement and it is a messianic movement, but you know what else? It is a miraculous movement where even today, God is miraculously changing lives and we are living proof of this power and of this miraculous grace. And there's a guy named Saul who also experienced this radical grace. A guy who was raised in the Jewish tradition. A a guy who was of like the right tribe, the right clan. He had the right upbringing and education. He had the right opportunities, incredibly well-read and intelligent, an expert in the Old Testament. One who, who was versed in, in all of the ins and outs of Jewish religious tradition. And he had risen to be one of the key leaders in Jerusalem during the ministry of Jesus. This guy named Saul was so much a Jew that he was named after the first king of Israel. I mean, this guy literally had it all, but we find that his life is radically changed as he introduces the Lord Jesus, as the Lord Jesus introduces himself to Saul, and and, and therefore his life is radically changed. And when we look at the life of Saul today, we are reminded of something that is incredibly profound and that echoes even today. Let me, let me remind you this, and if you're, if you're taking notes, I'm gonna encourage you to write this down, okay? Just check this out. Anyone at any time, in any place, in any circumstance can be changed by the power of the gospel. Anyone, at any time, in any place, in any circumstance can be changed by the power of the gospel. Now, if you question that today, let me just walk you through what happened with this guy named Saul, who at one point in time in his life had no interest in following Jesus. We see this, look at verse one here in in Acts chapter nine, it records, his testimony. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. <laughs> he wasn't just a guy who, who was like steeped in his own tradition and he, you know, he, he, he wasn't a fan of this new movement that had surfaced in Jerusalem that you and I know as the church. No, 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 this guy was actively seeking to extinguish it. We know if you read back just a chapter earlier that he had presided over the death of Stephen, one of the very first deacons in the ministry of this church that had formed. We know that Saul was a leader who studied under Gamaliel and and, and he had such a significant leadership presence within his first century Jewish culture and, 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 and he presided over the deaths of many Christians. You see here that he's uttering threats with every breath. He, he doesn't just, and the scripture speaks to this elsewhere, he, he, he doesn't just like, like, like have an issue with this movement. He hates it with every single ounce of his humanity. He's made it his life's mission to extinguish this mission, this, this movement known as the church. With every single breath, he is eager to kill the Lord's followers. How he would do that is he would bring them as prisoners of treason into the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high council, and these people would be sentenced to death and they would be, they'd be killed. They had a system for this. We've already seen this in this teaching series. So listen, this guy Saul is a bad dude, influential, powerful, knows the right people. He's a member of the the ruling class and, and he absolutely hates this new movement. So check this out, verse, verse uh, two. 
So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Again, notice his, his determination to extinguish this movement. He's now gonna travel to Damascus. Damascus was north of Jerusalem and it was a long distance north. He's well outside the region of Samaria there. He's going up uh, in, in, into a, a region north of even Judea, Samaria there. And, and, and he is like traveling far and wide here where, where he's hearing of these, these, these members of the way who are popping up. And he's looking to extinguish this movement, bring people back to Jerusalem, have them arrested, imprisoned, and even killed. So he's taking a show on the road. Not enough that he's persecuted and killed in Jerusalem. Now he's taking a show on the road and notice that, that he is so agitated at these members who are part of the way. I love, by the way, this reference to the way. <laughs> I've seen some interesting church names over the years, <laughs> actual church names. There, you know, there's an accident Baptist church. <laughs> there's a battleground Baptist church. I think I've been to that church a few times. <laughs> There's a waterproof Baptist church, which seems a little bit strange. <laughs> and then my favorite, Harmony Baptist Church. And then, of course, Harmony Baptist Church number two. <laughs> this early movement, check this out, is known simply as the way. So now, why was this movement, why was the church known as the way at this time? Well, without question, it goes back to what we looked at last week in John 14, 6, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. This new movement identified simply as the way. We are members of the way. We are part of the way. That's how they distinguish themselves. And here Saul is breathing threats against members of the way. And he's taking his show on the road all the way up to Damascus now, seeking to bring people back to Jerusalem where they'd be tried, imprisoned, or even killed. But we're gonna see here the Lord has a different plan. Look at verses three and four. And so as Saul is approaching Damascus on, on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And here we see this this intercessory work of Jesus who, who reveals his glory to Saul so that Saul is literally and physically blinded by this light, by the glory of the Lord, literally blinded and unaware of who is speaking to him. And so he can only hear these fateful words, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, this is one instance in human history where if I were the Lord, I would have done something differently. I would have shown up, my glory revealed, it would have blinded Saul and I would have said something, it seems way more profound, like who's your daddy now? <laughs> you ain't so big and bad, are you, right? <laughs> Prepare to die, I don't know. Now that's just me and my, my uh, selfishness, you know, but, but notice what the Lord says to him. It, it really is something. The, the Lord says to him, again, he's blinded, he can't see. There's this glory in this voice and it says, Saul, 
Saul, why are you persecuting me? Notice the significance of that. Not, why are you persecuting my people? Not, why are you persecuting the church? Not, why are you persecuting the way? No, do you see how personally Jesus takes the suffering of his children? He says, why are you persecuting me? Do you remember when Jesus said, when you, when you feed the hungry and you care for those in need, whenever you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. It's a positive example of, of how personally Jesus takes the ministry of the church. And, and here, when it comes to suffering and persecution, it's no different. Jesus says to Saul in a very personal way, why are you persecuting me? You almost have to be a parent to fully understand the significance of this. I remember not long after I became a Christ follower, I, I, I began to, to get involved in my church and do some things with, with some uh, guys in our church. And I remember being at a place where, where frankly, it, it was like one of the most scary and intimidating places I'd ever been. I, I, I heard like the, the worst language and saw some of the worst violence I'd ever seen anywhere in my life. It was a church league basketball game. And I don't know if you've ever played in a church league basketball game, but um, it's not a whole lot different than any other basketball game. <laughs> and I, I remember on one occasion, I was probably, I don't know, 16, 17 years old. I was playing and we got in a real competitive game with some guys and, and it just got heated. And I was young and stupid and competitive and fiery. And I was right there in the middle of all of it. And I remember after the game, we were kind of walking out and, and there was a little scuffle. We kind of got in this little scuffle. And here I am, some 16 year old kid, but you know what's scary to me? I'm thinking like, that's how old my son is now. So my dad's basically my age, okay? <laughs> Which means he was really young at the time. Really, really young. And um, I remember, I'm, I'm just kind of there and I'm looking, and I remember we kind of started getting into it with this guy and he's you know, older and bigger. Than, and, and I remember I just felt this hand come across my chest. <laughs> and and there was like, it was like, it was literally like this, I don't know, it seemed like it was coming from heaven. You know, it's like this hand came down and kind of pushed me out of the way. And the next thing I know, my, my dad, who was there to watch the game, he, he stepped in. And, and he kind of pushed me to the side and he, he stood there. So I had to say, hey, you're gonna mess with him. You're gonna mess with me. <laughs> I'm like, but dad, you're like five foot six, 110 pounds. Like that's probably not the smartest idea. You know, I don't know. I was like, I don't know, 105 pounds. You know, we were quite the duo if you put us together. <laughs> but that doesn't matter when you're a parent, does it? Isn't it true? Don't you feel this as a parent? Like, hey, if somebody's messing with my child, they gotta go through me. And, and I just want you to understand the gravity of what Jesus says here, because did you realize if you're a Christ follower today, he feels the exact same way about you? He doesn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people, my church, this movement? He says, why are you persecuting me? It's personal. And look what happens next here. Saul, who again, can't see at this point, the glory of the Lord has physically blinded him. He hears this voice. He really doesn't know even who's speaking to him. Check this out. He says, who are you, Lord? Now there's been much made over Saul's use of the word Lord there. It's a, it's a term in Greek that is used in, in different contexts. But here, I don't, I don't think Saul's acknowledging the Lordship of Jesus, but he is clearly acknowledging that a superior figure has appeared. Perhaps Saul's thinking this is some angelic revelation. Who knows exactly what's in his head at this point, but he knows he's not talking to an average ordinary human being. 
And he responds as such, who are you, Lord? And notice the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. He says, now get up and go into the city and you will be told then what to do. May I just remind you, especially maybe those of you who, who think that, you know, when you stand before the Lord one day, you'll get to kind of raise your fist and tell him exactly what you think. You know, whenever you look in human history at people who are physically confronted with the glory of God, they don't pick up a cell phone and start streaming it on Instagram. They start looking for a clean pair of underwear. <laughs> you don't encounter the glory and the power and the majesty of the living God and not be overwhelmed by it. And don't think for a minute that there will be any human being standing before the Lord on the day of judgment. No one will be standing, everyone will be kneeling and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even Saul, who hates this way, who hates this movement, who's made it the goal of his life with every breath to extinguish it. When he's confronted by the glory of the Jesus he's persecuting is overwhelmed by the glory. No, you don't raise a fist, you bow a knee. And Jesus says to him here, now you're gonna get up and you're gonna go into the city of Damascus and then I will let you know what is going to happen. Jesus here assigns the terms not Saul. And so look at what happens next. Now the men with Saul stood speechless. Well, I bet they were. <laughs> for what they heard, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. And Saul picked himself up off the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he was blind. And so his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. So I had to physically walk him into the city. And he remained there blind for three days and he did not eat or drink. Now look what happens next. Now there was a believer in Damascus. Of course, that's why Saul was going there. There are believers there, and there's a believer there specifically named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. He says, yes, Lord, and check this out. The Lord says, I want you to go to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can restore his sight. He can see again. And then check this out. I love this. <laughs> but Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many terrible things. And people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. I love the fact that Ananias assumes that the sovereign maker of heaven and earth may not be aware of who he's dealing with. <laughs> Did you catch that? But Lord, I know you're busy running the universe and everything, so this, this fact may have escaped you. This is a bad dude you're asking me to go see. You want me to go see Saul of Tarsus? Everybody knows about this guy. All the way up in Damascus, before texting and social media existed, they all knew about Saul. They knew how bad he was. They knew what he intended to do. And Ananias is so overwhelmed with this. By the way, that's why it took a vision to get him to do it. 
but he's now lecturing the sovereign God of the universe. Say, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure you want me to do this. And, and the Lord, of course, says this to him. Check this out. I love this. Verse 15, go. <laughs> I read into that go dummy. You know, you, I, I, that's not in the original language here. That's a loose pair, but look, look go. <laughs> For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Just go. I have a plan. I have a purpose. That's unstoppable. And this Saul of Tarsus with all of his threats and all of his actions and all of his hatred and all of his hostility will not stop my plan and my purposes. Just go. So look what happens and we'll wrap this up. So Ananias went and he found Saul and he laid his hands on him and he said, I love this, brother Saul. (laughs) Well, that's quite a change, isn't it? Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. And then he got up and he was baptized. And afterward he ate some food and he regained his strength. And then check this out, I love this. And Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is indeed the son of God. He is indeed the son of God. You say, how did Saul after just these few days have the ability to get up and start proclaiming the gospel in these synagogues across Damascus? I tell you how, because he was an expert in the Old Testament. His problem was not a lack of knowledge previously to this. His problem was a lack of belief. And once Jesus reveals his glory to him and he's miraculously saved and he comes to this knowledge that Jesus is the Messiah and he surrenders his life to Jesus and clearly there's this monumental moment of conversion and now he's able to go into the synagogue and he's able to put together his knowledge with his salvation experience and his testimony and and Saul was uniquely able to go into the synagogue and say, hey, guess what? Remember when you read in Genesis 3 here that the Lord's gonna raise up one from the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent? I know who that is. Hey, you, you remember Israel in Psalm 2, a messianic psalm talking about the one who will come and rule and reign and reestablish the throne of David? I know who that is. Hey, you remember in Isaiah 7 when it says a virgin will bring forth a child and name him Emmanuel, which means God with us? That is Jesus of Nazareth. Hey, you remember in Isaiah 53 when the Lord said that his choice servant will suffer that he will bleed, that he will die. I know who that is. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. Immediately he began proclaiming that Jesus is the son of God. And we are reminded in a powerful way this morning that anyone at any time, in any place, in any circumstance can be changed by the power of the gospel, anyone. And I wanna encourage you just with two, two takeaways this morning as we contemplate this miraculous movement in this powerful gospel. First of all, no one is beyond the reach of God's grace, no one, no one. 
Saul had a radical change in his value system, as I said previously. He spent the early years of his life as one who hated Christians and saw it as his duty to imprison them and oversee their death. But later in life, just think about this, this same guy said, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Same guy. God radically changed him. This same man spent his remaining years as the tip of the spear for gospel engagement around Judea, Samaria, and even the uttermost parts of the earth. This same guy. You wanna know what he said at one point in Romans 1? Let me show this to you. This same guy who once hated the church said this. He said, I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. Say, why did Paul say it? Because he lived it. I mean, who better to get up in front of people far and wide and say, I know that I am not ashamed of this gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God to everyone who believes. The power of God is revealed through this good news. The power of God is revealed through this gospel. The power of God is revealed through this movement. You can't stop it. And I am living proof of that. If he can save me, he can save anyone. Literally, there's not a figure in the first century that would have been deemed more unsavable than Saul of Tarsus. But yet exactly the man whom God saved and used to expand the church's influence all over the first century world. He said, I am not ashamed of this good news because it is the power of God at work. May I just remind us today, in an unsettling time, in a challenging time, in a time in our nation's history, we're looking forward. Who knows what's gonna happen and who's gonna be leading and what the consequences will be and what movements take shape and form. But let me just, let me just encourage us, listen to me very, very carefully. There is no stopping this movement of the church because it is a movement that has the power of the gospel and this powerful gospel can and will change anyone and everyone who looks to it for salvation. Nothing will ever stop it. Nothing will ever stop it. It will always prevail. Listen, there may be somebody in your family right now you're thinking of. I don't know if they'll ever come to Jesus. Keep praying. The Lord might just surprise you. Be somebody you work with, somebody you live next to. Listen, we hold an unstoppable gospel and we realize that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. And then finally, check it out. Our mission and our movement are indeed unstoppable as we move forward with this power and with this word. Listen, Bell Shoals, this is our confidence in sharing our faith. This is the confidence we have in inviting others to church. This is the confidence that we have as we seek to be witnesses right here in West Central Florida. Listen to me very, very carefully. This hope, this word, this gospel, this mission, this movement are unstoppable. And this powerful word and this powerful hope is powerful to save and to sanctify. And therefore we press on as a church and a movement that's on a mission because we know that as we're faithful to this gospel, the Lord will bless our efforts. We have a guarantee that his word will never return void. We have this hope. We have this powerful example here in Saul's conversion that reminds us that when we're faithful to share and we're faithful to invite and we're faithful to love and we're faithful to to witness, God is going to use it because the power of our witness is in the message, not the messenger. 
And I said this last week in our second service. I wanna remind you of this. Some of you might be fearful to share your faith. You might be fearful to take a stand. You might be fearful to, to be a witness. May, may I just encourage you today that your witness and your testimony does not depend upon you. It depends upon the unshakable power and authority of this gospel and this hope. Do you think for one single moment that God is in heaven right now and he's wringing his hands that somehow you're gonna mess up this movement because you don't do the right thing and say the right thing when sharing your faith one day? If you're like me, you shared your faith before and you've gone away, oh man, you know what? I wish I would have said this and oh, I could have said that. It always hits you later, right? <laughs> hey, listen to me. None of us are so essential to God's economy that we're gonna mess up the work of the gospel. Are you with me? Let me make you a promise, Bell Shoals. You be faithful to share. You be faithful to invite. You be faithful to pray. You be faithful to serve. You be faithful to give. And you leave the results to God. And I'm gonna tell you, God's gonna continue to prove this miraculous power in all that we do. You don't think God can use you? I beg to differ. You don't think God can save people who we think are hard to save? I beg to differ. You don't think God can, can grow a church in a hostile climate and a society that's increasingly hostile to the Lord? I beg to differ because history proves to differ. There is nothing that will ever stop our mission and our movement because there's nothing that can stop the power of this gospel. It will save anyone and everyone at any time and any place under any circumstance that looks to this salvation. That's why, Bell Shoals, we will continue to be a church that is strategically on mission. That's why we, we take up initiatives like Gift of Hope. That, that's why we're, we're, we're so aggressive in our mission strategy and supporting the work of, of church planners and missionaries across the ocean. That's why right here at home, we continue to invest and in, 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 in to serve the people who are around us because we believe with all of our heart that God's incorporated us into a mission and a movement that's unstoppable and this power is able to save all who look to Jesus. Just look at history. You, know, you look at this Saul, as the scripture references here, he, he stayed with the disciples several days. He eventually begins preaching and teaching as we've seen. And really for the next 14 years, he spent time working with the apostles and those who were key leaders in this movement called the way, absorbing teaching about Jesus, going back and connecting all the dots. And then he went to Jerusalem a couple of times. And then eventually he launched three significant missionary journeys that spanned 12 years. He stopped in major cities and he planted churches, proclaiming the gospel in synagogues first to his fellow Jewish countrymen, followed by the Gentiles. He did this in Corinth and Athens and Ephesus and Galatia and Philippi and Thessalonica. And in 58 AD, he was arrested in Judea. He appealed to the emperor of Rome because he was also a Roman citizen and he was transported to the most powerful, influential city of the first century world. And while under house arrest there in Rome, he wrote letters to the churches that he found he eventually released and was rearrested in 67 AD by Nero, a name with which many of you are familiar, the cruel Roman emperor of that time. And then Paul, late in life, was led down a familiar road, executed as a criminal against the state of Rome by the emperor Nero. And though his life ended in 67 AD, his influence was still growing and a year after Paul's death in 68 AD, Nero took his own life out of fear and assassination after burning Rome nearly to the ground and blaming it on Christians. And today, people name their pets Nero and their sons Paul. 
because he proved to be a part of an unstoppable movement. We hold in our hands every single week half of the New Testament that he wrote, much of which as a prisoner. We exist as a church today in the tradition of his church planning efforts as he worked to get the gospel to the nations. And today we carry on this legacy of faithful service and this powerful gospel knowing that our mission and our movement is unstoppable. Our witness, our generosity, our loving kindness, unstoppable. And so no matter what happens in our world today, we're gonna continue to be a church of love and grace and peace and hope, clinging to the power of this gospel, inviting, welcoming, witnessing, sharing, all in line with this powerful gospel because we, just like Paul, have a testimony of what we used to be or what we would have been, but now who we are in Christ.